Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. This is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Well, now that the uh, concert season's over, I, I've got this fever for more music. I know there's going to be some shows at the Wilma and the Top Hat and stuff, but the, uh, the amp season's done. But how about this? Never expected this. This is one of the great old-school arguments of Two-Tail Nuwana's. Macklemore is coming to the Adams Center tomorrow. I'm trying my best to get out of... Uh, my other obligations so I can go to this. But myself, Ryan Tutel, our former co-host, we used to argue about this just incessantly because I said that while Macklemore is very, very famous, that a, a, a large portion of our audience didn't know who that was. And he was dead set that 97% of people knew who Macklemore was. Where, where are you at with this? I'd probably... You know, I, I would take the under on Tutel's estimate. That's what I thought. I, yeah. I, I said less than half. I said certainly probably like one-third. I'd probably take the over. I'd go right between you guys. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you think over half? i take over half under 97%. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, either way, we'll see how many Missoulians show up for Macklemore tomorrow night. Also, we've also had the incessant argument of how do you pronounce it. I win because they got it on Wikipedia, Tutel. Hopefully you're listening. Welcome back to What Is Now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Justin Engel in studio with us here to start hour number two. If you missed anything in hour number one, went around the wide world of prep football Gave you our prep scoreboard. Also heard from Pat Duchesne, the head coach of the defending uh, state champions at the Class B level out there in Florence. And uh, had our Vertical Rays Class AA Player of the Week. And also had our Treasure State Stars. All of it on the Nuanas Now podcast, probably presented by the M Store, where the auger is all the time. The Montana State Bookstore. Visit msubookstore.org for all your blue and gold needs. And, of course, Blackfoot Communications, who also is the proud presenter of the business angle. The overlay between business and sports every couple weeks. Uh, before we get into the sports thing, though, I've been reading your the book. So those watching on TV or the ESPN MT app, the, the book is called This is Wildfire, How to Protect Yourself, Your Home, and Community in the Age of Heat. Justin and Nick Mott uh, co-authored this thing. Uh, it's incredibly uh, informative and, and interesting. Uh, but I just got done with the uh, the burning section. Sure. Uh, which is all about just sort of the, the, the recent history of fire in America. Mm-hmm. And how we managed fire, or lack thereof, or incessantly managed it for basically the duration of the 20th century. I just find it so fascinating how much influence... I mean, first of all, we take it for granted because we live in 21st century America. But fire is one of the most essential parts of humanity, right? I mean, this is how Homo sapiens became civilized, partly because of, of fire. That part's interesting, too. But then you look at the, the modern-day influences on government and policies and all of it. You guys did a great job of putting that in perspective. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, this is a great place to do this kind of work because sure. there's so many people working at the tip of the spear in fire, whether it's folks with the Forest Service, uh, fighting fires, fire scientists, folks at the College of Forestry and Conservation at the University of Montana. Um, some of the most elite work in wildfires happening right here in Missoula. The uh, All the influence on on different government policies. I found that yeah. so fascinating. Would, would any of that surprise you or would you just think of just researching all that and sort of learning about it? Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily surprise me. I mean, looking at the history of how, you know, coming from the Big Burn in 1910 and the response to that by the fledgling Forest Service was to, we had, we had to put out all fires. Right. And a lot of folks don't know that the Forest Service is um, housed within the Department of Agriculture. Sure. And the Department of Agriculture, you know, trees are a crop and they're conceptualized to be managed for yield and board feet per year and all these sorts of metrics. And so protecting that crop is is an important function of the Forest Service. Now, it's a lot more nuanced to it than that, but you can see how in the early part of the, of the 20th century that this full suppression policy took hold 
And then all of the downstream consequences of that, not only the ecological consequences, but also the the sort of military-style apparatus that we've built for fighting fire very effectively. Um, Even if you want to unwind that a little bit, it becomes very difficult. The... um the example of the sequoia trees, I thought that was a, yeah. an awesome one. Because sequoias are these just majestic, uh, I mean, I, th- I think of trees as creatures more than plants. But there, there was this sort of deficit in sequoia trees because fire is how they spread their seed. And we just didn't realize that. And then once we did, it, it sort of altered the way we think about That's this. right. They have a cone that has evolved to be resilient to fire. And only can release its seeds. The coating on the cone will melt and allow the cone to release its seeds when it's exposed to uh, a low-intensity fire. Now, the flip side of that, though, is a lot of the high-intensity fires that we're experiencing now are are more intense than what we've experienced sure. historically. Right. So that kind of disrupts that cycle because it can take and instead of allowing a seed to germinate and and released from a cone, it can just vaporize not only the cone, but the soil, and then nothing's going to plant. The other uh, fun part about this was the, this little one-pager on the origins of Smokey the Bear. Oh, yeah. It, it's so funny. You, you take certain things just as for granted. You don't ever think of how did Smokey the Bear come about, yep. right? Like, how did the, the icon of Santa Claus come about? You know, studying that sort of history is so interesting. But then you you read this. I mean, it's the longest-running public service ad campaign in the in American history. It is. Yeah, really successful and top of mind for many folks. When they, I mean, when you see that bear, you, you know immediately. And you, I mean, I conjure the phrase, only you can prevent forest fires. Uh, not only is it an enduring uh, branding of the Forest Service, but tremendously powerful um, propaganda campaign in many ways. Absolutely. And that's the other part that's so striking is you guys don't, you're not going after the, the, the accusation that a lot of this is propaganda-driven, but there is just some history about the propaganda around sure. wildfire. I mean, for example, the part about World War II when they were saying, hey, let's prevent forest fires so we can defeat the enemy. I, that, that's a very interesting fold in this as well. Yeah, trying to wrap so much of it into patriotism, and a lot yes. of it was part of the cultural ethic of that early part of the 20th century when we thought that we could sort of bend the natural world to our will. Right, and better living right. through science and all these things. We just thought that all these things were within our control and that it was our, um, that, that it was sort of by design that our society was evolving in such a way that it could control these, these parts of the natural world and bend them to our will. And I'm glad that we had sort of a, 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 the opposite reaction to this, at least in certain ways. I mean, imagine a world without predators or I mean there was yeah. a moment in time where there was initiatives to basically kill off all the animals sure. I'm I'm so glad that didn't uh, continue because I mean ruining we're going to somehow like the environment has become a political issue it shouldn't be it's very cut and dry the biodiversity of the planet is a very important thing for the planet to exist in harmony with the things that live on the planet it's as simple as that and so I'm glad we've we've uh, at least got away from that a little bit yeah, it does make you wonder, though, like, how many things do we accept as just mm. bedrock default assumptions of our society right now that Absolutely. are completely misguided? I mean, I think an example of one thing we're try- we're starting to maybe live through is, um, you know, these devices that we seem tethered to Absolutely. at all times. I mean, maybe we're going to find out that, hey, these things aren't so good. <laughs> it's not so good to be carrying around a device that you're addicted to. And what does that do to disrupt your neurochemistry and your mental health and all that sort of thing. Um, And there's probably all kinds of other examples of misnomers in our society. That's the craziest thing is I I love to read. I love learning about all of these different things. But then sometimes when you learn, it like it bends your brain a little bit. What have, what have I believed that, that I just learned about that I no longer believe? I never forget when I read the omnivores dilemma by Michael Mm. Pollan. Yeah. And it's about a lot of different things, but one of the primary things it's about is about, the subsidization and creation of the corn industry and the way that the economics and business behind that has been manipulated over the last 100 years and then all the side effects from that. It's its pretty crazy to study. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes that I tell students is from Epictetus, a Stoic philosopher, and that is, you can't learn what you already know. Mm, very good. Justin Engel in studio. The book, This is Wildfire. Uh, go check it out. It's available on bookshelves everywhere. Um, it's... I, I'm interested to get to the, the second part of it all, just this is kind of about how to protect yourself and all the solutions for your home and community and all that sort of stuff. But uh, 
if for anything else, you should at least just read the first part of this because the history of fire is definitely a part of the uh, the history of humanity. So, what was, last thing on this, what was the what was your favorite part about writing this? Uh, favorite part was definitely the collaboration with Nick. That's yeah. been from the start. We made Fireline together along with Victor Ivez, and it's a collaboration that just um, we just worked well together from the start. We could give each other feedback in a direct, honest way that was non-threatening. It was always helpful, and we just had had a great rhythm. And you know, um, our styles complement each other. And plus, you know. I, I have a, such respect for what you do as a journalist, and that's a methodology that I'm, I was not trained in. Sure. And so to learn about how journalists do their work and approach uh, knowledge generation and discovery, that was awesome for me. And learning from Nick was a tremendous experience. Well, awesome, man. And uh, everybody should go check this book out because I think it's important. You can also listen to the Fireline podcast, which Justin and uh, Nick Mott also, uh, they won an Edward R. Murrow Award for, so uh, pretty cool. Uh, the Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com for any and all of your uh, home networking, small business, home office, any sort of networking needs, goblackfoot.com. Um, the NCAA Division One Council met last week, and uh, <laughs> it's not related to inflation, but inflation's a key topic in America right now. But talk about jacking up the prices. You still used to only cost $5,000 to apply to be an FBS candidate now it costs yeah. five million dollars just your general thoughts on uh, this phenomenon well a couple thoughts there one um it might be just a mechanism for the ncaa to say you know enough we have enough schools in the fbs sure. we don't want anymore like this there's saturation in this marketplace yep. we're already seeing fractures happening on so many levels. We've talked about conference realignment in so many ways. We've talked about whether or not the NCAA can hold power, um, whether or not the major like SEC schools will secede and, and do something. So I think the NCAA is, is, is fearful of dilution, right? And so to create a price that's prohibitive to gain entry is one mechanism to, to eliminate entry. Another piece of it, too, is that you know, it's hard to think of it as a revenue generator, right? Right. But, but maybe there is such demand for some schools to make that leap that the NCAA can just extract a fee, a tax from them. I, I don't really know the sort of financial health of the NCAA as an institution. Right. Um, if that's what they're thinking of as a strategy to generate revenue, it seems a little desperate to me. Um, but either way, it's it's sort of a, a bit of a head-scratcher to me. Yeah, I, I, well, see, when, I, when this first came down, I thought to myself, okay, for the, the schools that we talk about frequently as potentially making this move, these state institutions in isolated rural states like Montana and yeah. North and South Dakota, I do think that there's always going to be a question of if you want to move up, where does the money come from? But having to come up with more money you're going to have to come up with a whole plan to have a whole bunch more money at, at your disposal no matter what. Yeah. So I think that if that was ever a reality for the Montana schools and the Dakotas, I think they would find a way to find that money. What I thought this was targeted as specifically is the state of Texas and other schools in that football crazy region. As of right now, I think there's 14 FBS football programs in Texas. Wow. Texas used to have great FCS football. Now everybody's bailing on it because they want to have the FBS moniker. They want to have the FBS dollars. Sure. You can get the FBS TV money, even if you're disaligning with Tarleton State and Texas State and whatever else yeah. you might figure out. I mean, Sam Houston State's a great example. They've been good on, on the football field for sure over the last 10 years. You go to a game at Sam Houston, I mean, it's somewhere between Washington Grizzly Stadium and a high school stadium. Like it is, There's nothing, nothing FBS special. about it. Yeah. Huntsville is not like some crazy draw. And yet they're making the move because they could at that moment. They were able to strike while the iron's hot. I think it's to deter schools like that that are just making the jump because of the the region that they're located in. Uh, yeah, I see some possibility there. I still get concerned about the saturation issue. Right. right? And so that, that, I mean, I think our, our points align there, whether it's in a micro market or, or in a broader sense. I mean... 
there can only be so many bowls that are worth watching. <laughs> right. Right. And don't tell that to the crazy people that watch all 40 of them, but well, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think as we're seeing, like the bowls don't really mean anything right. anymore. And so as we expand the playoff, it's sort of this slow dilution of what bowls mean. And then we see sort of the implosion of the Pac-12, like the Rose Bowl is not going to really mean anything in the historical sense. It'll still carry some brand value, but that brand value is is hugely diluted. And so you get more teams in, it's going to create more opportunities for bowl games and sponsors and all that. But I, I think, you know, as we're seeing in the streaming industry and with the decline of the cable bundle, there's just an oversupply in the marketplace, right? And there's going to be less money. So this could be a, a deterrent that the NCAA is putting on schools to just say, hey, you know, we need to sort of slow this down because the, the, the music is going to stop pretty soon and the, there's not enough chairs to go around. So how do you balance this? Because I, I do think on one hand, you're absolutely right, where there is going to be less seats at the table. Yeah. And we're already seeing that with a lot of the decisions that are being made. For example, Learfield, Learfield Sports, which is one of the great uh, uh, juggernauts when it comes to third-party marketing. For those unfamiliar, Learfield basically has a conglomeration of over 200 Division One schools, and they sell the advertising for those schools. The huge advantage of Learfield is they can go to huge corporate partners, you know, like a Coke or a Chevy or, or whoever it might be, and they can say, hey, you buy this big multi-million dollar advertising package from us, we can get you on the scoreboard and the the wall and in the program and on the radio and on the TV for every Division One school yep. in the country, okay? And then, you know, that also gives a, an opportunity for a school like Montana to get a couple million dollars and a guarantee that really helps boost their budget, but what's Learfield's, uh, what is their engagement and interest going to be in schools like Montana and North Dakota State if all they need is these 55 or 60 schools over here because that's going to be 85% of the college football watching public? That, I guess my question for you, though, is if most people are only watching the Power Five, sure. but there's still this maybe not that great of a population, but audience for everything else. How do you kind of balance those two things? It's not an uncommon dynamic in business. Oftentimes mm, right. you get 80% of your revenue from 20% of your customers or, right. or something like that, right? Right. Uh, however, like the only way to grow is to, you know, sell the same thing to new people, to sell the more of the same thing to existing people or to sell something different to to either of those groups of customers, right? The easiest way is to try to find, well, the easiest way is to sell stuff to existing customers, but we're seeing right. that that's at a saturation point. So if you're Learfield and you have to grow, you have to, even though it's a small percent of your revenue in order to grow, you still have to find those new customers and serve those new markets. So, I mean... The finances of it actually make some sense. Yeah, it's it's just going to be interesting to me because you know Learfield aside, I think that uh, at the same time, more and more people are going to care less and less about small school college football oh, because yeah. everybody's going to be in the same four conferences. Sure. Yet the people that really care about small school college football are going to care about it more because all of a sudden it's like even more of a novelty, so to speak. Yeah, and I think like it'll be interesting to see how those programs make decisions with how they package yes. their offer and yep. how they manage their revenue streams. A school like Montana, for we have this stadium that drives so much of the, the revenue. Totally. Right? And TV's not really a significant revenue stream. I no. think in, the di in, in, in this landscape that you describe, it's going to behoove these programs to develop facilities that attract people and to create an on-the-ground live experience that is compelling because not only is it going to be hard to find on some television service, although you might be able to get a streaming service, um, it's going to be expensive to serve a small number of customers with that channel. And the product experience is probably not going to be that great because you're either going to have to pay the, for, through the roof for it or just get something that's poor quality. The business angle, Justin Angle, in studio with us here uh, on Nuanas Now. When it comes to what's going on with football in the West, 
the University of Washington, not Washington State or Oregon State. I had to reread this a couple times because yeah. I was like, huh? The University of Washington filed a motion to intervene in the Whitman County Superior Court on Monday seeking to join the lawsuit by Washington State and Oregon State against the Pac-12 and its commissioner. Why would they want to do that? Well, if granted the motion would pave the way for Washington to file then a motion to dismiss this lawsuit, which neither the school nor the nine other departing Pac-12 universities currently has the authority to do while not being a party to the lawsuit. Man, you talk about rivalries going crazy. If you're Washington State and Washington, I mean, you're Washington State, you're like, man, get out of here, Washington. This is a, this is a crazy move by the Huskies. Um, it, it makes some sense from yeah. a business standpoint, yeah. right? So w- w- what appears to be at stake is this $47 billion in, sorry, $47 million yes. in holdings that the right. Pac-12 has. And then right? there's, another, there's another somewhat between 50 and $60 million that exists because of NCAA tournament stuff. There's, there's upwards of maybe $100 million that's kind of on yeah. the line and here. And these are assets that... N- if the conference dissolves, it will be distributed. If it doesn't dissolve, it could be presumably up to Oregon State and Washington State to divvy those assets up or spend sure. them however they want. And so for the remaining schools, you know, that's money that they could have a claim to. It's certainly money that they participated in the generation True. of, right? And so for Washington to make this move, one, they're the only of the schools that could do it because they're the only school that is in the state of Washington where the the case is being filed. Totally. And the only way that they can get into this conversation is to become a party to the lawsuit, in which case then if they are named a party to the lawsuit, they have the right to file the motion to dismiss. It seems like the sort of thing that is just headed to some sort of a settlement. Right. Right. The parties are all going to get together and say, this is how we got to divvy up these assets. And, you know, there'll probably be some non-disclosure agreement or something. But it just seems it seems uh, inconceivable to me that um, Washington State and Oregon State are going to walk away with all the cash here. It's going to have to get spread around. At the very least, they're going to have to rebuild the Pac-12 and then they're going to have to share it with a whole bunch of new members. But as you're saying, I never thought of it like that. All the teams that help, all the the schools that helped build this nest egg are not just going to walk away without any of their money. Yeah, it's an interesting test case because we've talked in this in this segment about you know the relegation model happening, and Oregon State and Washington State are high quality football programs yep. at least right now. Right now they are. And so, yeah. and so the, the the notion of them getting relegated um, doesn't really make sense in the traditional say, uh, uh, scope. But in this conversation, we're always talking about teams moving up into more prestigious conferences, Mm. right? It can't only work in that direction. So this notion of rebuilding the Pac-12, I find it a little bit far-fetched that two schools, probably the two schools in the conference with the least media draw, will have the ability to, like, reconstitute a new conference, it seems more likely that they're going to have to find a new home themselves. I think that that's probably uh, the way that it's going to go. Uh, One last question for you. University of Montana plays at the University of Idaho Mm -hmm. Saturday night in Moscow. That's a, uh, it's on ESPN two. So it's national TV game. I think that's great for the league. It's certainly great for Idaho to have the Kibbe dome sold out for the first time. I think since they came back to the big sky, that's going to be on national TV. It's sort of a, a funky and unique arena, so I think that's good for their branding because it just doesn't look like a lot of other places. Yeah. For the Grizz, though, what do you think of this? I, I guess, does the success or lack thereof for the Grizz in this football game impact the exposure they're going to get, or is it an objective win for the Grizz just being on national TV? Depends on I mean, if you look at it from a brand awareness standpoint, it's it's a win it's for good. the Grizz. Yeah. They yep. get not only the exposure during the game, but they get the opportunity to run media spots. Sure. And, you know, our, our branding and marketing has improved, and we're able to tell totally. some compelling stories. And the, the commercials and, are really good, and probably one, at least one of those will land on the ESPN2 broadcast, you'd think. Exactly. So if you're looking at trying to get more students interested in the University of Montana, I think, I think it's a win. Um, I do think, though, that, you know, we're at the point where the quality of the product on the field matters. Yep. And particularly against a team like Idaho, 
that people don't have a lot of existing brand associations with, people are going to assume it's a big rivalry. Like people not no, familiar no with the Big Sky and the you know MSU Monta- University of Montana rivalry are just going to assume that Montana Idaho is a big rivalry. Well, and, and and when you go back in the annals, it, it is. I mean, it's the sure. second it's the second oldest rivalry in the Big Sky. It's been going longer than any other one besides the the Cacarez rivalry. I think this is meeting eighty eight between these teams. They have a trophy, so you know there's some stuff there. It's a thing, and there's storytelling about it, and there's a winner and a loser. Yep. Right, and so you know, while the from the exposure standpoint, it's it's upside for the Grizz. I do think you know there has to be a good product on the field. I think that the the fact there's a trophy, I think it makes just the the common person that might just be switching through. Sure, yeah, because you're like, oh, well, they have a trophy, and there's there's results for a hundred years on there. Okay, I'll watch this. It makes sense. You can <laughs> tell some story about it. And I can I can see all the you know the production crews and making I'm, a scene about it. And I'm sure they'll play it up. You know, the winning coach is going to drink a beer out of the mug, sure. and you know, yeah, whatever we throw potatoes at each other, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. And then we'll all seem like rubes that live in Missoula and uh, Moscow. Here we are. But Pretty I, much. I think it's good, though. I, I agree with you. I do think that p- performing well would her- help the the University of Montana brand. Even more, but I do think it's it's just good for the, the league to have this rivalry on TV. Yeah. Business Angle, Justin Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, go check out the book. This is Wildfire. Anything new coming up on the uh, the Business Angle? Oh, okay. on, on a new or, excuse angle? Excuse me, a new angle. I always do that. This is the Business Angle. A new angle podcast is Justin's other awesome podcast that he's a part of. Yeah, this week we have Molly Krukenberg of the Montana Historical Society mm, talking cool. about the amazing facility they're building in Helena. It's going to be about 166,000 square foot oh, facility. Man. And then next week, uh, you might be interested in this, and sports fans, we have Sean Radley of MTCX, and he's talking about oh, cool. the incredible uh, cyclocross racing that's going to be happening over the next month or so here in Montana. There's a race locally called uh, Rolling Thunder. It's sort of a, a, a long-running tradition that a ton of folks can get involved in. And then in early November, the Pan-American Championships yeah. are going to be here. And this is a huge deal for Montana. Some of the world's best cyclocross racers are going to be here. It's super cool. And you've probably been hearing the advertising on the radio because they've run, they're running a bunch of spots on ESPN and the trail uh, and Jack FM. So, uh, but I mean, this is a big deal. It's like a world-class event that's yeah, coming to Missoula. the best so. in the world. Yep. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, thanks for being here, man. Good Thank to see you. you. Thanks for pubbing the book. Of course, man. New Orleans Now ESPN Radio will give you a preview of the Seattle Kraken right after this. Keep it right here. 1029 FM. Jewelry Design Center is not your average jewelry store. The friendly, welcoming staff is so excited to be in Montana, and the craftsmanship, unique creativity, care, and artisanship you'll receive at the Jewelry Design Center is second to none. Is there anything you guys can't do? We don't cut diamonds, <laughs> okay, yeah, but we can facilitate that. <laughs> right. It's unique that we cast our own metal, we grow our own models, we hand carve, as well as use computer-aided technology to design. We're pushing the limits of what we had previously thought was impossible. Jewelry Design Center, your jeweler for life. One, two, three. One is now on ESPN Radio. I already know hockey's back because you've been listening to Grizz Hockey. How about some NHL? Well, it's that time of year again. The leaves are turning, the air is getting crisp, and on ESPN Radio, that means it's time for another season of Seattle Kraken Hockey. Happy to be bringing you the Seattle Kraken again this year. Had a great time with it last year. Seattle Kraken went on a uh, exciting, exhilarating playoff run last season. We brought you as many of their games as we could here on 102.9 ESPN Radio. We'll be doing the same again this year. And joining us now, voice of the Kraken, the guy you'll be hearing throughout all of these broadcasts, including starting tonight, first NHL regular season game Kraken taking on the defending Stanley Cup champions, Vegas Golden Knights. In Vegas tonight, the man whose voice you'll be hearing on that broadcast, Everett Fitz, you joining us for a quick talk. Everett, man, thanks so much for your time. Hey, anytime. Happy to be back and happy to to be bringing Kraken hockey to, to Missoula. Looking forward to another fun season. So how's your off season, man? Did you get a did you get a chance to do anything fun? I know it's been uh, it's been several months since the season wrapped up. What have you been up to? Yeah, man, this off season was actually it was pretty good. Um, I I went over to Europe for a couple of weeks. We did uh, a couple of uh, profile pieces on a few of our players, Andre Burakovsky and uh, Alexander Wenberg and Ellie Tolvanen. 
So those are out on the Kraken uh, social media pages. So that was really cool getting to see those guys behind the scenes and, and how they spend life in the off season with their families and, and, and get to know these guys off the ice, right? We, we, we know what they can do on the ice, but it's always good when you, you can know these players in a more personal way. So that was fun. And other than that, I got a little uh, 16-month-old at home now, so it was uh, full-time dad, full-time husband uh, all summer. Got to watch him grow up, and my wife and I took a couple of weekend trips with him, and uh, were able to really just unwind and unwind and relax. So it was uh, it was a good off season. Uh, my wife actually told me before we left for. Uh, for Vegas yesterday, she goes, I could tell that you've been itching to get back for the last couple of weeks. So here you go. Get, get ready for another fun year. But it was a good summer, man. It was a really good summer. So our guy, Everett Fisio, he's been with the Kraken since the beginning. He's going into, of course, this is the third season for the team. It'll be his third season on the play-by-play. Everett, just really generally, man, what, what's it been like watching the team grow from the excitement of the first season. Last season, you guys took a big step forward, made the playoffs. What's the vibe now going into the third season? You know, this this team, the confidence level is high, I think, the the professionalism um, is is something that you don't hear a whole lot about. This was a team that a lot of folks didn't expect to be 500 last year, let alone winning a playoff series against the then defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche, and then you're 10 seconds away from tying Game Seven against Dallas to go into overtime last to send you into the. I remember um, Jordan Eberle, his comments after that game in Dallas. He goes, you know, this this stinks. It, it, it doesn't feel good, but this is a great learning lesson. We, as a team, need to learn what this feels like. You have to learn what it feels like to lose uh, before you can really appreciate and understand what it takes to win. And I think a lot of players took that to heart. Yeah, guys were showing up to camp um, weeks early to get on ice work in their captain's practices. You had guys putting in extra work over the summer. Guys like Matty Beniers, uh, you know, Ty Cartier, who had a really strong showing in the playoffs. Even Shane Wright, who so much has been talked about him uh, after last summer being drafted and going through the year that he did. You know, he, he was assigned to Coachella a couple of days ago, but you know he is primed and ready should that NHL opportunity come available. So this team really took the lessons that it learned um, in Colorado, in Dallas, and, and applied them to camp. Players will tell you this was the probably one of the, the toughest, most intense camps that they've been to in quite some time. But I think because you didn't have a number of those big off-season moves for Seattle, the, the core was still intact. There wasn't as sharp or as steep of a learning curve as, as you would have when you're welcoming in four, five, six, seven new guys into a locker room. You you add in a handful of new players, but they're all players who've been around the league for a number of years, so they don't need a lot of time to catch up. So that's within the locker room. Externally, in the community, uh, in the organization, and, and all around the region, people are so excited for this year. And you can really see that that playoff run galvanize this fan base. Seattle, Washington, uh, you know, the entire region became hockey fans. You know, we we were, and I say we because I I was right there with them. We were were hanging on on every moment of this team. And um, now going into the summer, you have people becoming more invested, more interested in the game. Uh, And and it's really, I, I think, led to that that initial outpouring of support from the community heading right into the season. Everett Fitzhugh, play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken, who you'll be hearing all winter on 102.9 ESPN Radio right here in Missoula. We're super happy to be, for the second straight year, an affiliate of the Seattle Kraken. We brought you a great season last year that went all the way into the second round of the playoffs. And Everett, yeah. First NHL playoff run for for you as well. What was it like? Did yeah. it did it ratchet up for you those last couple of weeks? You guys in the postseason? I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Detroit, um, and it was 
late 90s, early 2000s, the Red Wings had won back-to-back cups. They were in the thick of the rivalry with the Colorado Avalanche. Um, 26 straight years of playoff hockey in the city of Detroit. So I grew up with that, and, and, and that was, that's how I spent my spring and early summers growing up was watching playoff hockey and being able personally being able to be a part of it for the Seattle Kraken to be able to help tell the story and paint the picture of of this team's first ever run to the playoffs i mean it, it, it was it was nothing short of of unbelievable i was so honored and 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 humbled to be able to call those games as a fan i got to tell you 8 year old 9 year old 10 year old everett loved beating the colorado avalanche that was i went all the way back to my childhood you know with those rivalries with uh, the avs in detroit but no man it was it was so cool because i i could see and i could sense and i could feel the same passion in seattle for this team in the playoffs that I felt when the Red Wings won those cups in 97 and 98. You know, this is an original six team that's been around for, you know, 100 plus years. And, and, and I could feel that same energy, that same passion around the, the city, the building, one of the loudest atmospheres, the loudest atmosphere when Jordan Everly, game four against the Avs, scored that overtime winner, game six against Dallas to force the game seven um, back in in Dallas to uh, in the second round, I've never heard a building that loud. And it was just, it was so fun uh, to be a part of that ride. And the guys felt it too. The players felt it too. And, you know, anyone you talk to, whether they be in the front office, whether they be in the locker room, whether they be members of the community, they, they had such a good time. It was so much fun last year in the playoffs. And they're hoping to, we were all hoping that it, it gets, gets back to that point again this year. And that, of course, brings us to this 2023-24 season as the Seattle Kraken looking to build on their second-round NHL playoff run from from last year. And Everett, tell me a little bit about the team this year. You said a lot of the core guys are back, a lot of the familiar names from last year, but who are some of the the new faces whose names you're going to be calling out? What what have they done this offseason to try to get back to where they were last year? Yeah, I think, you know, some people can view it good. Some people can view it bad. I I certainly view it as a good thing. Well, the Kraken didn't make a lot of moves. You know, your top nine forward group is still intact, completely intact. Your McCann, Beneers, Eberly line, that'll stay the same. Uh, Tolvanen, Gord, Bjorkstrand, that third line for the Kraken, that performed so well once they were put together late in the season. That'll stay the same. You'll get Andre Burakovsky back, which is going to be huge for Seattle. So he'll be on the right side of that second line with Jaden Schwartz and Alexander Wenberg. Where the, the, the changes come from Seattle are going to be on your fourth line. The Kraken had 101 points out of their fourth line last season, and that includes 46 from Daniel Sprong, who is now gone in Detroit. So you bring Brandon Tanev back in. You bring Pierre-Edouard Belmar from Tampa, who can win you face-offs. Ten-year uh, NHL vet who, um, you know, he adds a bit of a, of a gritty toughness game uh, to this lineup. But most importantly, like I said, he can win face-offs for you. He can kill penalties for you. He's got a bunch of energy, um, which is what you look for. Uh, in in that fourth line player, and then on the right side of that fourth line, you bring in Kyler Yamamoto from Spokane. So he comes back to his home state uh, to play NHL hockey after uh, his entire career up in Edmonton, and, and he is a player that's got a really good offensive skill set that I don't think was on display enough in Edmonton. I mean, when you're playing behind Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, Zach Hyman. Kane, uh, the list goes on and on. You know, ice time gets chewed up pretty quick. And I think, you know, in talking to some of the folks in Edmonton, the knock on him was just not able to to bury and finish his chances. He was given a ton of opportunity to play on that top line with McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins and all of those, but just couldn't find the, the, the mix up there. So hoping for a fresh start here. And then you've got Ty Cartier, who, you know, he came on the scene, scored his first in- 
in the playoffs, his first game for Seattle. He had a really good camp. He's a player that he does a lot of things well. You know, you, you talk about um, in baseball and, and in football, you know, that, that five-tool player, right? The guy that can do everything for you. And I'm not going to sit here and say he's Connor McDavid, but he skates really well. He shoots the puck well. He thinks the game well. He's got a bit of an edge to his game. Uh, he's got a high compete level. All of those things that make a player successful um, for for time in the NHL. A late bloomer passed up in the draft three times. So hey, maybe I'm going to get some flack for calling a player undrafted player five tool guy. But he definitely has all of those tools in the toolbox to make him successful. And then on the back end, defensively, you lose Carson Soucy. He goes to Vancouver on a three-year deal. But then you bring in Brian Dumoulin from Pittsburgh, who played with Justin Schultz um, for a number of years. He's got two Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh. He played with Chris Letang, who he'll be a Hall of Famer. So anytime you get to to be the deep partner of, of a future Hall of Famer, you're bringing a lot of that experience to He's very sound defensively, um, not a major upgrade on Carson Soucy, but definitely uh, an improvement in some areas there. So the Kraken didn't make that big free agency splash in the summertime. But if they can get good play by Andre Burakovsky, who between regular season and playoffs missed the last 46 total games for the Kraken last year, if he can get back to the 20-30 goal score that he should be, this team have no issues repeating the the success that they had last year, but it's it's going to come down to can they continue to play the style that has made them successful? Teams are not going to be taking them for granted anymore. Jared McCann said as much early on in training camp. You know, we're no longer going to be surprising teams. You know, we're not getting the backup goalie um, for some teams because they've got Vegas tomorrow night or Vegas in a couple days and they want to rest up. The Seattle Kraken are going to be getting the best uh, from the NHL's 31 other clubs every night uh, for, the, for this entire season. He's Everett Fitzhugh, play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken. You'll be hearing him all season long right here on 102.9 ESPN Missoula Kraken starting their season tonight at the home of the Stanley Cup champions, the Vegas Golden Knights. Great matchup tonight. Everett, before I let you go, great breakdown of the team there, but one more new addition to talk about. You're now working with Al Kaniski in the booth. He's replacing Dave Tomlinson on the, on the color. We're going to hope to get Al in here for an interview as well. Let him introduce himself to the people in Missoula. But with the season starting tonight, just uh, what have been your thoughts on the new guy and what should the people in Missoula expect from Al Kaniski in the booth there with you? Oh, you, you're you're going to get a guy who not only knows the game, but, but he knows Seattle. He was former T-Bird. He got drafted by the Flyers um, back in the day. He plays hockey. He coaches hockey. You know, he is one of those people who uh, analytically understands the game and can break the game down so well. He worked in junior hockey with the Everett Silvertips as their analyst for 10 years, so he knows the development. He knows a lot of these players that you're going see and hear over the next 82 games, Al broadcasted those names and, and, and studied and covered those players. So his personality is, 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 is wonderful. I've gotten to know him a little bit off the air now. And, you know, I, I am a, as, as a new father, like I said, I have a 16-month-old. I like to think that I'm working on my dad jokes and, and improving there, but he's got all the fun quips, and, and I can tell that he likes to have fun. And, of course, we wish Dave Tomlinson well. Uh, Tom, we're going back home. Uh, the new color analyst on television uh, for Canucks. He's from Vancouver. Uh, his kids are there. You know, his family is up there. I mean, his hometown team, so that's a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. So, obviously, we, we thank him for, for helping us launch Kraken Audio Network and, and, and telling the story of this team for, for two years. You know, he'll still remain one of my good friends. Uh, you know, Vancouver actually plays in Seattle the day after Thanksgiving, and I plan on having him and his radio, it is a TV partner over, uh, to the Fitzhugh House 
home for dinner on Thanksgiving. So definitely going to miss him, but really, really excited for, for what Al can bring. And, and we, we've had a couple of really good broadcasts already um, in the preseason. So, you know, it's just like riding a bike, you know, from, from his own Everett Silver Tip day. So he's going to become a quick fan favorite, I think. And, and uh, fans are really going to enjoy listening to him. And, hey, hopefully we can we can make some more memories and have some more historic calls uh, for the Seattle Kraken here in the near future. There you go. He's Everett Fitzhugh. You'll hear him on play-by-play for the Seattle Kraken starting tonight, 8 p.m. Mountain Time on 102.9 ESPN. Missoula as the Kraken get the 2023-24 season off by taking on the defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights in Vegas. Everett will be on the calls all season long. Happy once again to be an affiliate of the Seattle Kraken. We'll be bringing you as many games of theirs as we can. And uh, we'll probably be hearing from Everett Fitzhugh again. Everett, man, good to catch up with you. Happy you had a good off season, but I'm also excited uh, you'll be back on the airwaves tonight. I'm looking forward to listening to it. So good luck with the call tonight. Thanks for your time, and, uh, and let's talk again soon. Absolutely, man. Always a pleasure. Take care, and looking forward once again, man, having Missoula back on for uh, the second season. Hopefully we can give you guys some more hockey going into May and maybe even June. So thanks again for the time. Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm. And Dwight, your father founded Schulte Law Firm in 1987 and since then has mediated more than 3,000 family law and divorce cases. Why is he so good at that sort of law? Well, he is a smart and patient man. A lot of situations where you find yourself in need of attorney are a high conflict situation. And it's really important. And it's a a tenet of our firm that we work through litigious issues in a collaborative way. It's important at Schulte Law Firm that when we're litigating these very serious issues that impact people's lives, that we do so in a way that provides the best representation and the best result to our clients. And what we have found is that the best way to do that is to litigate these issues effectively while doing so with a high degree of professionalism. We can have these disagreements without making it personal. Visit jshultylaw.com. It's new on is now on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Jimmy Rodeo in Moscow on Saturday night, also known as the Battle for the Little Brown Stein. Welcome back. Nuwana's now ESPN Radio. Time now for our Grizz Star of the Week. It's presented by Ryan and Miller Law. Ryan and Miller Law, more than 30 years of experience. Paul Ryan and Angie Miller approach every case like it's going to trial from day one. This ensures the top-notch attorneys that are always prepared and ready to press forward on your case to get you the justice you deserve. Our Grizz Star of the Week this week, a senior captain and linebacker for the University of Montana. It's Levi Janicaro joining us. And we only have a couple minutes left. Grizz just got done with a rainy practice. Levi, thanks for taking a minute, man. How you doing? Good, guys. How the heck are you doing? Great, man. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, we'll get right to it. Just take us through the win on Saturday. A huge win for the Grizz at UC Davis. You guys sealed it with a great defensive stand at the end. Ryder Meyer pops the fumble out, and you guys recover it. I mean, just how big was this win for Montana? Oh, the win was huge. I mean, every win is huge, and wins on the road are even bigger, I think. I mean, they're they're really tough to get at home. Wins are tougher to get on the road. So to be able to, to come home with a W was big time. And certainly gives you guys some momentum now because you're sitting 5-1 and one, right alongside a lot of the other top teams in the league, and you're playing one of them uh, on Saturday. So uh, how you guys approach this? What do you think of this primetime showdown you got at the Kibbe Dome on Saturday night? I mean, it's it's going to be a going to be a fun game. Just, just, just like you said, it's it's a nationally ranked ma- matchup. They're, I believe, the number three team. They're a good team, so we just have to prepare like we always do and stay tuned in to what each individual, what we have to do, do our one eleventh and try to go out there and outplay them and get and get and get get a win. 
Well, certainly their quarterback, Giovanni McCoy, is getting a bunch of headlines, and justifiably so. Freshman of the year in the nation last year. The receivers, yeah. uh, prolific guys. But to me, when I watch them, a lot of it starts and ends with the run game. I know that's something you guys are so good at is shutting down the run. So, I mean, how big of a priority is that part this week? I mean, that's probably the number one goal for, for, for our defense for every game is to stop the run. So, this game is no different. Uh Anytime when you can make a team, when you can take away the run game and make them one-dimensional, it really, I mean, it shuts down about half of their offense and allows the defense to open up their playbook a little bit and try to put some pressure on the quarterback. So, I mean, if if, if we can stick to, to our game plan and uh, stick to our goals and stop the run, then that'll help us out a lot. From just a defensive unit perspective, I mean, you talked about doing your 111th, and that's something that Coach Houck has talked about a lot, especially coming out of the NAU loss. It seemed like you guys did a great job of that last week. So, I mean, where have you seen this defensive unit make strides here these last couple weeks? Um, I mean, it's just every guy has has, has become more, more more serious about their each individual assignment, uh, not, not, trying, not trying to do too much on any given play and trusting that their teammates will do their part you know, when, when everybody is focused on their 111th, uh, I mean, that completes the 11 11th, which is one, which is a good play for the Grizz. Levi Janikaro joining us here on Nuanas Now, a Grizz captain and a senior there for the University of Montana. Uh, we haven't uh, caught up with you on the radio since you, you got the, the hallowed jersey. So, I mean, what, what's the experience been like? We're number 37, every kid's dream in Montana, but especially a Missoulian like you. So, What's the honor been like? How's it gone this first half of the year? Oh, you know what? It's It's been a blessing, man. God is good. I mean, uh, to be able to don this number, this jersey has been just a heck a heck of a deal. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, um, I'd say the the biggest change is how long I'm, all, I'm on the field at the end of a home game. It's, it's funny how many more kids just recognize you be, because of the number. I swear it adds like a half hour. Well, that's awesome, man. You were but, certainly built but, for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's been a lot of fun. Well, we we're up against it, so we gotta let you go. But we'll certainly catch up with you at least one more time before this senior year is over. But best of luck on Saturday, man. Thanks for making some time. Hey, thanks, fellas. It was good to talk. Levi Janicaro. I gotta tell you, you know, you get to know some of these guys pretty well. I I know Levi on a personal level a little bit, and I gotta tell you. As a Big Sky alum, but also just somebody that's grown up in Missoula, I'm just so dang proud of that kid, man. He has done it right. He is he has had an exceptional career, but also he's just such an awesome person and such a great leader. So uh, proud to have him on the show. Our good start of the week presented by Ryan and Miller Law. We're out of time. We'll be back tomorrow. See you then. New on is now ESPN Radio. Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that yeah. might, it must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home and uh, I saw some kids running around with I love shirt it. on and it was really surreal it was a cool moment cool experience for sure yeah, that's so cool you guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you but when people are looking up to you like they do I mean they think I mean you're the man right now for <laughs> the <laughs> University of Montana what's yeah. that like being a Montana kid um it's different for sure um you know growing up you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that but um you know it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids lives um you know, I just wanted to make sure uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time.